you remember how Paul, when he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark. In other words, Paul was saying here, I count not myself to have apprehended. What did he mean when he was saying that? If you remember the word here for count is a word logizome. And it gives the idea to come to a finished, calculated conclusion about something. Let me say it again. It means to come to a finished, calculated conclusion about something. In other words, it wasn't just an off-the-mark, uh, off-the-cuff remark that Paul was making. It wasn't just something saying it for the sake of saying it to try to instruct or to encourage someone. Paul was saying this for a reason. And this was the reason that he was saying it. People were wondering. People were trying to explain to them their own selves and to others. The reason for things and why they happen in God's economy. In other words, you and I do not fully understand or comprehend why certain things happen and why God does certain things in certain ways. Paul, as a man filled with the Spirit, an apostle of the church, he turns around and he says the same. I have thought about these things. I have looked at... My upbringing, I've looked at my past, I've looked at my teaching, I've looked at who I am, I've looked at my lineage, I've looked at all of these things and I see God moving and I know God's doing but I don't know why and I'm trying to work it out. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. The word here count, as I said, is no gates of me, it means to come to a finish calculated, settled conclusion. You know what Paul was saying to you and I this morning? He said, you know what? I've thought a lot about this. I've thought much about this. I've prayed every day about it, maybe all day, every day, for periods and seasons of times. I've even sought the Lord on three occasions that he would take away this thorn in the flesh from me. Because I couldn't understand it. I just couldn't get the grips with it. Why? Negative attitudes come in seasons like this. Negative attitudes can come in times like this. A negative attitude can come to your mind and to your life and to your heart. A negative attitude about God and the things of God. A negative attitude about where you are in God and who you are in God and what God thinks about you. All sorts of things go around your head and your mind, your will and your thoughts. And negative attitudes seem to get too heavy for us. And Paul then turns us around and he focuses us on a positive concentration. The word of God should focus you this morning, focus me, focus us all away from negative attitude 
to a positive concentration. Things as simple as something someone has said about you can cause a negative attitude. Or to you can cause a negative attitude. An illness that has worn you down can cause a negative attitude. Something someone didn't do for you can cause a negative attitude. And we start to blame God and wonder why. Our God is a good God. And God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And the devil's a bad devil. Paul says, I count not myself. I have come to a finished, calculated, settled conclusion. I've it settled in my mind. I've it settled in my heart that I don't know everything. I've settled it in my mind. I've settled it in my heart that I can't explain everything. This is coming from a man who was uh, arrested on the Damascus road with a light shining from heaven and Christ himself uh, who, who spoke unto him. For when, he, when he fell back and, and he says, Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, curious, sovereign, supreme? He is in all authority. The words came back, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. In other words, I am God and I am Jesus. And Jesus is God. This man had such a, a, a conversion. It, it, was, it was tremendous that he became blind and then the scales fall off his eyes after Ananias goes to Straight Street to that house and he's able to see wonders and the glories and the beauties and the majesty and the perfection and the holiness of God. And he's taken away into the Arabian desert for three whole years. And for three whole years, God and him are communicating and communing and fellowshipping one with another. God pouring his grace and his love upon him. And Paul receiving it all. God catches him up into the third heaven. Shows him things that are not lawful to be uttered. He can't even speak about them. And neither can even explain them. This is the man who says, you know what folks? I don't know everything. I can't explain everything. I don't understand everything. But this I know. All the negatives and all the failures and all my faults and all the things that I've done wrong and been wrong, all of those things, I set them down. All the hurts has come my way and forget them. Negative attitudes are forgotten and my positive concentration is pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Negative attitudes today will rob you of what God wants to do in you today. Because we're concentrated too much on a negative attitude. Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. We looked last week at how this word, logizome, I give you an example of if I get a bank statement that says I have fifty pound in my bank statement uh, in my bank account, and I check my income and I check my outgoings, and it comes to fifty pound, then it's, that's the truth. It is what it is. 
me willing it or me wishing it or me having an opinion about it will not change that it's still £50 in the account. It is what it is. And the word of God is what it is, says what it is. It doesn't change. And outside of me thinking I have more or less than £50 in a bank account on that statement, I'm only deceiving myself. There's £50 in that account. No, I'm just going to will it to 60 Stir at it long enough. Maybe put another knot in the end of 500 We have to go by what the word is. It's like saying to the unsaved, you know, you must be born again. And them saying, well, you know, I think if I'm a good person or I belong to a denomination or, or come to Elam Church or whatever, you know, well, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm heavenward. I'm heaven bound. I'm, I'm going to glory. I'll be in the kingdom. And, and it doesn't change what the word of God says. You must be born again. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you try to express. It doesn't matter what you will or what you wish or what you think will change through time. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. Christ said himself, ye must be born again. So you must be born again. The Bible says only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from sin. Nothing else. Not our works and our alms and our deeds and our our, our good patriotism or anything. It's just the blood of Jesus and nothing else. Outside of the blood of Jesus, every man and woman are still lost and in their sin. Still in their debt. An unpayable debt. But the word of God says that. That's what we believe and that's what the standard we must keep. If the word of God tells you and I, or since the word of God tells you and I, that we are to become sanctified through the Holy Spirit and live a holiness of life, then you and I must do it. If the word of God calls a man a liar, then a man is a liar, whether he thinks he's a liar or not. If the word of God says you're righteous in Christ, then you're righteous in Christ, whether you feel like it or not. In other words, because Jesus died for me, because Jesus died for you and you have accepted as one time once for all and never to be repeated sacrifice on the cross of Calvary then you take the righteousness of Christ and he takes our sins in that great transaction at the cross and the Bible says because of that then I'm righteous before the Father then I'm righteous before the Father if it says I'm justified before the Father then I'm justified doesn't matter what I think doesn't matter what I feel doesn't matter my opinion That's what the Bible says, and that's what I am. That's what you are. As you sit in your seat this morning, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord and personal Savior and trusting in him, the word of God has not changed from last week. The word of God has not changed since it was printed at the Reformation. The word of God has not changed since it was put on to that papyrus skin in the ancient times when the prophets and the apostles had written it. The word of God has not changed from way before the foundation of the world when God and his own counsel spoke it forth. The word of God remains the same. So where are we with the word of God? You and I have to count up. Take every direction and read the word 
What does the word say about me? See, Lord, this morning I don't feel saved. You ever feel like that? I don't feel saved. You don't feel saved. You're saved by grace through faith. You're saved no matter how you feel if you're trusting in Jesus. It's not by feelings, it's by faith. Paul says, I count. I've added it all up. I count myself. Look, Paul, you have not apprehended. You might not understand it all. But we don't go on supposition or opinion. But this word count is that we go on fact. It is what it is. In a nation, in a, a world, in a society where the word of God is watered down to suit the political correctness of the day, there are going to be many people who are going to have a great startling appointment before the throne of God when they stand there and say, but we thought it would suit the people to do it like this. The word of God says homosexuality and the practice of it is an abomination. Guess what? It's still an abomination. Same-sex marriage is still an abomination. Preacher, you shouldn't preach that today because that's not politically correct. This Bible is what it is. It does not change. Even to try and soften someone's heart. Even to try and make a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, a minister, a priest, whoever, look good. This word is forever settled in heaven. You and I must come to a a finished, calculated, settled conclusion about the word of God says about who we are in Christ. We are righteous. We are saved. We are justified. You and I belong to him. We are secure for eternity. You and I must come to this in our minds and then live out the word of God in our lives. You and I, sons and daughters of the living God, you and I have the Holy Ghost residing in us. You and I, that's who we are. And people say, that's presumptuous. It's not It's what's been settled in heaven must be settled in you. I'll say it again for you. That which has been settled in heaven must be settled in you and me. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, we looked at this last week. Let me do this. We'll spring on to somewhere else. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, Paul says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Now, if you remember last week, this word here, logizome, which means Paul says, I count myself not to have apprehended. The word count, logizome. It is the word here, the same Greek word, but it's a different English word. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. In other words, Paul uses the word logizomi for the word think. 
the word think. In other words, Paul is saying to us, look, I'm just a man. I'm flesh and blood. I'll go to the grave like everyone else. He says, but my sufficiency is not of Paul. When Paul was praying and doing great miracles, his sufficiency wasn't of Paul. When Paul was in need and he had to go tent making at times, his sufficiency still wasn't in Paul. Do you know your job is not in your own sufficiency? Your job is given by God. Every good gift and every perfect gift that's from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And Paul's saying, everything I have, whether it's physical, spiritual, or even financial, you're struggling to pay a bill. Your sufficiency is of God. You're worried about what's coming next. Your sufficiency is of God. You're worried and concerned about your health. Your sufficiency is of God. You're concerned about the ministry. Your sufficiency is of God. I spoke to you last week about how you get up to preach sometimes. Or maybe Gary, uh, I used him last week. Sorry, Gary, again. But uh, coming to sing and lead us in worship. And, and maybe some of the other musicians. And you don't feel like it. You're struggling. And, and you don't know what to do. And you feel down in heart. Yet you have to sing. You have to play. You have to minister. You have to preach. You have to teach the children or whatever. You know, your sufficiency is not of yourself. Your sufficiency is of God. It's of God. Everything you do is of God. Did Paul not tell us that in him we live and move and have our being? What if I go to preach and, 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 I, and I, I get caught lost for words? Well, you know me, that won't really happen with me anyhow, people say. But what if I get lost for words? See, your sufficiency isn't of you. And you lie in bed before you come out on an early Sunday morning. You're going, oh, Lord, I wish I could just lie on in bed. And have no strength in my body. Listen, your sufficiency is of God. Or, Lord, I feel down this morning. And I feel even very low this morning. Your sufficiency is of God. Get up in Jesus' name and do it. Your sufficiencies of God. I can't go and sing. Or I can't go and play. And I can't go and minister. And I can't go and teach the children. I can't do this. Your sufficiencies of God. You're going to your work and saying, I can't face this boss. And I've, got the, I've been paid off. I don't know what I'm going to do. Your sufficiencies of God. The word sufficiency here also, uh, gives the idea of, uh, of ability and character. Just doesn't mean that God supplies any. It means he fortifies he builds up. He strengthens. He comes and steps inside you, as it were, as you're a child of God. And then he gives you the character to cope. He gives you the ability to get through. He gives you the ability to overcome. Your character becomes bigger than your circumstances. Paul says, you know, I'm not... I, I'm, I'm not uh, thinking that this is all of Paul here. I've come to a sound conclusion that I'm weak and I'm contemptible and I'm not the best looking. <laughs> Paul says, in fact, I have an awful lot going for me. But one thing I know, he says, and one thing I'm assured of, and one thing I have settled in my heart, and one thing I have settled in my mind is this, 
is that my God is sufficient to meet all my needs in Christ Jesus. He says, one thing I know is he is sufficient. He's my sufficiency. You know this word sufficient, it gives actually the root word, the root word of the word, there's a couple words together, but the root word for, in the Greek for the sufficient gives the idea to come into a season. It's not strange, come into a season. You know, sometimes when you're preaching, you, you hit what's, what we call a vein. It's like when a nurse or a doctor takes the blood and they hit the vein and they draw the blood out. It's the word just keeps coming. And you keep getting the inspiration. It just keeps flowing. And suddenly, you're like a coal miner even looking for... Or a gold miner. You're looking for gold in the earth and you can't find it. It's as though God has stepped back. And you know, a negative attitude can come in. God says, no, no, no. You see, you'll not realize my sufficiency until... I step back. But I've never left you. And neither have I forsaken you. He may step back. He may step back, but he has never gone and left you. It gives the idea that Paul came into a season when he was so conscious of the anointing of God. This season of power, this season of blessing, this season of breakthrough, this season of anointing, this season of God's presence, this season of healing, this season of preaching, this season of conversion, this season of baptizing in water and of the Spirit, this season, he says, not of me. This is all the sufficiency of God. He says, I go a place and I'm hounded and I'm beaten and I'm bruised and I'm battered and I'm knocked about. He says, and I'm wondering, God, where are you? But I've counted it all up and I've come to a finished, settled conclusion in my own heart and mind. You know what, Lord? I just don't understand it all, but I know there's a season coming. There's a season coming of great sufficiency. Brother, sister, going through a hard time, going through a time of heartache, maybe mourning, dryness or whatever. He hasn't left you. At the right moment, at the right time, there's a season coming of breakthrough, of anointing, of super blessing. Hold on and keep going on. Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. Paul says, I've come to a solid conclusion. It's nothing of me. My sufficiency is of God. God doesn't run out, you know. It's not like you go to the fridge and the, the milk's run out. God is an abundance of supply. God is eternal in his being, in his spirit, in himself. Everlasting, self-existing. God has an everlasting flow of abundance and grace for you. Let me show you another one. 
Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, please. Philippians chapter 4. See, when Paul is writing like this, notice the heart of a man who's been touched by God. Notice the heart of a man who's been convinced by the word. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're not reading the word, you'll never be convinced by it. You need to read the word of God. Stop reading the magazines. Even the newspapers. I don't buy newspapers. Stop reading them. Read the word of God. Lift it and read it. You know, what Paul is saying here is is that we cannot reckon or come to any finished, settled, calculated conclusion and be honest with ourselves. No matter how we look at it. But now look at this one in Philippians 4. It's right on down to verse 8. Finally, brethren, after a long discussion, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The word think again is the word logizomai. See, we use different words in our English to, to, to explain this one Greek word. It's, it was such a, or such a, English is a harder language, but this is such a richer, uh, it painted pictures. The Hebrew and, the, and, the, uh, and the, the Greek painted pictures, especially the Hebrew, there was pictographs in it, little pictures, and they could read like a hieroglyphic nearly. They could read what was being said. And here we have him, he says, look, whatsoever things, and he mentions this catalogue of things that are just and pure and lovely and good report, if there's virtue, if there's praise, he says, think on them. Here's a positive concentration. He says, come to a finished, a settled, a calculated conclusion about these things. Look and see what God has done in your life. Look and see where God has saved you from, where God has brought you from, where God is bringing you to. Read the word of God, God's plan and purpose for you and his kingdom. Read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Read about it where uh, the the beautiful city making you uh, that partaker of the new Jerusalem. Read about it and he says, and come to a finished settled conclusion and say, Lord, that's what you have for me. That's where you're bringing me. That's what you're doing in me. And in the meantime, in this space we will worship we will praise we will serve you but one thing we know Lord is we don't know it all and be settled in your heart and mind to understand we are to try and find out the things of God but we do not know it all for he is everlasting we don't know everything he does and why he does them that way we can't explain it we can't work it out but one thing is this he is in charge He is sovereign. He is in control. He has your life in his hand this morning. Paul says, think about all these things and look at them from every angle. Look what God is doing in the church. Look what God is doing in your life. Look what God is doing through your prayers. Look what God is doing whenever you are worshipping together. Look what he's doing, he says, then step into it. Be settled in this, that God is still God. 
whether you and I want him to be or not, or think him to be or not, or believe him to be or not, or have an opinion of him or not, God is still God. And God's plan, God's purpose, God's will, God's word, and God's ways will still be done in spite of you and not because of you. God loves you, but not because of you. If God loved me because of me, then what would that say about God? I would call him fickle, weak. But God's free love. Freely he loved me, freely he loved you. And God's love for you knows no ends, knows no bounds like the grace of God. We love him because he first loved us. Now take note of this word here. Paul says, think on these things. Now as we round this up this morning, I might have to do part three. Look at with me uh, to the book of Romans, please. Go with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. I, and I'll go through all of these. I'll maybe read some of them out. But Romans chapter 4, and we'll round this up this morning. It's a bit more like a Bible study at times this morning, but sure. It's good to read the word of God. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father as pertaineth to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were off to glory, but not before God. In other words, anyone who feels, thinks, or has an opinion that they're justified, or just as if they'd never sinned, that they're, they're clean before God by what they can do, by their denomination, by no matter what whatever their church affiliation is. He says, you're not justified before God. Man might look at you and say, isn't he a great fellow? I don't mean this to be an offense, but there's many, many times you hear and people have lived a life without Christ, died without Christ, and their life legacy behind them was to leave a family full of alcoholism and or or sin or whatever and maybe even throughout their life they've had fights and bust ups and adulteries and all this sort of stuff and they've had a horrible life and the family pictures that person because he he or she was loving to them the family pictures that person as because they love them, they were saying, but, but that's my father, that's my mother, or whatever. They say, why does God pick all the good ones? We get poems there, and you oh, he picks the nicest flower in the garden, and all this sort of stuff. Hey, folks, I, I'm saying this, and I don't mean to cause offense. Even if that person lived a life that was a, a life of churchianity, that person is still not justified before God no matter if they never said a bad word a swear word a cross word in their life even if they were good people all their life they are still not justified before God they stand before God a sinner in their very nature Their flesh is full of sin. That's why we die.
The only way a man and a woman can stand just as if they'd never sinned before a God of justice is when they get washed in the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. For we have, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And let me stop. See the word reckoned. You know what the word is there? Logizome. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, if Abraham worked to be righteous before God or to be justified before God, then it's all Abraham's doing. It's not God's. Abraham would have something to boast of. Can you imagine Abraham standing before God and he's justified by what he has done and his works? Can you imagine that? And he stands before God and he says, Almighty God, I deserve to be in your glory. I deserve to partake of your heaven. Because I done this, that or the other. Can you understand now why the door raps and there's Jehovah's Witnesses or Russellites at your door? Because they feel they must rap so many doors and reach so many people and obey so much the watchtower and so on and so on. Can you understand why the, 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 the Ang- many Anglicans, not all now, but many Anglicans and Roman Catholics come and do the ceremonies and the sacrifices and, and they do all these sort of things, holding up the mass. Say sacrifice because the mass is an unbloody sacrifice. And they do all of these things because it works. Rubbing rosaries and do it's works. You understand why the, the Islam and they go toward uh, Mecca to do their pilgrimages and all these sort of things? It's works. And they think they'll stand before God, even the suicide bombers. Well, sure, I'm going to be in some sort of heaven with so many virgins and all this sort of stuff. And, and, and they stand before God justified and righteous. That's in their own mind. But the word of God doesn't change. Not for you, and not for me, not for them, not for anyone. And of something else that people won't like. You see when you see the Jews standing before the wailing wall, and they're bouncing like this, and they're praying. That's a relic. It's a relic like a Roman relic. God will answer prayers. Listen, God only answers prayers through Christ. Christ and Christ alone. Anything outside of Christ is a waste and a loss. People don't like you to say that, but there you go. You and I have a free access into the presence of Almighty God. We're trusting in the blood of Jesus. We're righteous before God. The righteousness of Christ is clothed in us. And we stand before Almighty God in prayer and in praise and in worship. And when we do, God looks at us. He sees no fault in you. He sees no sin in you. He sees you through his son. Here he says, now to him that worketh, the reward is reckoned of grace. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And in other words, 
you have to calculate this and work it out. Add it up and come to a settled, finished conclusion in your mind. And God does that. Did he trust me? Did she trust me? The giving of my son or not? And if they did, were they settled in it? And they're saved. Saved. I didn't say churchy, religious. I said saved. We'll start here next week in the Lord's will. You know, you could hear a pin drop at the minute and I think God is speaking. And I don't want to, it's, we're, we're running out of time. We've run out of time anyhow. So Paul says, if you're reckoning, counting it up, that I'll do all of these things. I joined a church, put my name in the road. Listen, I came from a Presbyterian church. Our family's name is on the roll, the church register. But I wasn't saved. You could come in here this morning unsaved and you might even say, I enjoyed that or I didn't enjoy that, whatever. And go out lost the same way you come in. Because coming to Elam won't save you either. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to come to a settled conclusion in our hearts who we are in Christ. I am a son of God through adoption of the Spirit. I am a daughter through adoption of the Spirit. Be settled in your mind. When you leave here, see that, oh, no. I can't do this and I can't do that. God is your sufficiency. Be settled in your mind. Start thinking. Be settled in your mind of what God's doing, who God is, what God can do in your life, what he'll do for your life, a seasonal breakthrough is coming. Be settled in your mind and in your heart and you'll see yourself building in faith. When you're praying for people, I can't do that. Yes, you can because you're a child of God and your sufficiency isn't of you, it's of God. Listen, there's no difference in my flesh and yours. None. My flesh has been bought and will be redeemed should it go to the grave. My flesh has been bought with the blood of Jesus and so is yours if you're a child of God. There's no difference. You know what the difference difference between my flesh and the man who was in the club last night clubbing away and maybe having some affair somewhere? Do you know the difference in his flesh and mine? None. Only mine belongs to Christ. And this flesh houses the Holy Ghost. So does yours. We'll look at it next week. There's more. There's a lot more of this, and we'll look there and we'll look at more of a positive concentration being settled in our hearts. God bless you this morning. Thank you for your attention. It's tremendous. And you're glad you're in here. It's nice and warm, the wind and the rain beating out there. And let me just get a wee drink. Go and ask.